Well, good morning. Welcome once again, and those of you who are joining us online, welcome here. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel. It's so great to be with you today. We are in the last week of our sermon series on the seven deadly sins. We've been doing this for the last seven weeks. We've worked through uh, pride and wrath and greed and lust and envy and, I'm missing one, gluttony. And today we are doing sloth. We are finishing off the series, and next week we're into Advent. Can you believe it? It's Advent already, so we're really excited about that. Let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll see what the Bible has to say to us today. Heavenly Father, it's so good to be in your presence. We're so happy to be here. We're so grateful for a warm building on a, on a cold Sunday. We're thankful for technology that allows us to meet with those who couldn't make it here today or are far away from us today and are joining us online. We're so glad that we could make all of that happen, God. We pray that you would speak through me today. We pray that you would speak into each one of our hearts, that this would be a message that we each need to hear and that you would bring to life in us, God, that you would pour out your ever, everlasting fountains of life-giving water. In your name we pray, amen. So as I said, we're talking about sloth today, which is not a word that we hear very much. It's not a word that really gets used in, my, in our uh, context and there's a, there's a movie that I quite enjoyed called Zootopia. I don't know, did any of you see it? It's a, it's a movie about these, these uh, anthropomorphized animals, and they live in a city, and like, everyone in this city is an animal. So the main characters are a rabbit and a fox, and they go around, uh, they're actually solving crime. It's very fun. But at one point, the rabbit and the fox need to go to the DMV. They need to run a license plate on a car. And the DMV is staffed entirely by sloths. Which, you know, explains why everything moves so slowly. And uh, as they're there, the, the rabbit is just losing her mind. Because this is not a quick process. And she thought this should be a very quick process. It's not a big deal. But everything is very, very slow. And at one point, the fox, who is quite actively antagonizing the rabbit turns to the sloth and says, hey, what do you call a three-humped camel? Pregnant. Right? It's not that funny. But the sloth goes, ha, 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 ha. And the sloth goes, his eyes get big, and he pulls back, and he goes, aha, aha, aha. And he laughs, and it's really, it's all in slow motion. And then the sloth needs to turn to another sloth and tell the joke, all in really slow motion. So this idea... The deadly sin of sloth is not about moving slowly. But it's sort of an idea that we can, we can relate to. Sloth is not about being slow. Sloth is about being inactive. In our culture, we would probably use the word lazy or laziness to describe this idea sooner than we would use a word like sloth. And that's kind of a strange idea to be talking about in this culture. I don't know if you've noticed, this culture is pretty busy. Like, it's pretty easy to find stuff to do instead of take your pick, right? How easy is it to get your kids into hockey or soccer or whatever it, it might be and decide, you know, oh, we need to go do that so we can't come to church on Sunday morning? Not that there's anything wrong with being in sports, just picked an easy example, right? And people go to the gym. People go to the gym, like, at 5 o'clock in the morning, I have a friend who posts on Facebook almost every day that he's working out at 5 o'clock in the morning. 
He's a psychopath. I don't understand. But, like, how do you accuse a society where stuff like that happens constantly of being lazy? And yet, and yet, there are all sorts of ways in which we are, and we do, and we neglect. And that's sort of what we're thinking about today. I do want to throw out a caveat right in front, right as we start here, that sloth is not being sick. If you're ill, especially if you have clinical depression, because those are the people who are really liable to hear this one wrong. If, you have, if you're sick, if you have clinical depression, if you have an injury that's keeping you from doing things, you are not in sloth. You are sick, and your job is to get better. Your job is to take your pills, get your therapy, whatever it is that you need to be doing to get better. You are not in danger on this sermon. Okay? Nod. Let me know that you hear me. Okay. All right. Good. That's what I need. But if you're healthy and you find yourself regularly saying things like, I don't feel like it, or I'm not in the mood, well, there's... um. This movie that came out not too long ago. I don't know if you know this about me. I like sci-fi. I don't know if you guys have noticed. There's a movie that came out just like a month ago called Dune, D-U-N-E, and it's based on the United... Yeah, Henry. And uh, 1965, there was a book that came out called Dune by Frank Herbert. It's a very important uh, sci-fi book. And there's a scene in this movie where Paul, the main character, is doing combat training. He's fighting with a knife. And uh, his trainer is, comes to, to do some work with him, and Paul goes, I don't know, I'm not in the mood today. And uh, in the movie that came out a month ago, uh, the trainer replies, mood? What's mood to do with it? You fight when the necessity arises, no matter the mood. In the 1984 version of this movie, when they made another version of this movie, which is not great, but it's got a very memorable version of this scene where the training character, played by Patrick Stewart, says, Mood is a thing for cattle and love play. <laughs> memorable, strange line, but memorable, right? The idea that we do things whether or not we're in the mood, that there are some things that is not a question of are you in the mood, you need to do this. Sloth is when you find yourself scrolling on a feed, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, whatever, Wherever it is that, that you go and you find that you've wasted your afternoon or evening or really that you've done something and you just feel like you have nothing to show for it, not even enjoyment, right? Because that, that's an important distinction. Fun isn't sloth necessarily. I mean, it can be. How many projects do you have around the house that you keep promising that you'll get to? Right? There, there are lots of things that we know that we need to be getting to. The Bible primarily uses the word sluggard to discuss this idea. The word sluggard comes up 17 times in the book of Proverbs, and it is never good. In Proverbs 6, verses 6 to 11, we read, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It is no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? How, when will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. 
Which brings us to the second portion of our sermon. Why is sloth bad? Well, we just read the first reason. Because sloth invites poverty. Now, I, I need to make it clear. I am not saying that poor people are lazy. That is not what I'm saying, right? If A, then B, B, therefore A, is not what I'm saying. I am saying that laziness is to move you in the direction of poverty, no matter what life state you're in. You could be fabulously wealthy, but if you're lazy, you're going to be moving in the direction of poverty. It's going to take you a while to get there, right? And, and that should be a pretty straightforward idea, right? That should be uncontroversial. But um, it is, you know, it kind of leads to this. Have you ever been in a job interview and they ask that question that, Frankly, I can't think of it. Mostly a ridiculous question. Not here. Not when I interviewed here. Why do you want to work here? I always, I always am so tempted to answer things like, I just, I have a burning passion for not starving to death. Right? But that idea. We work because we want to be able to eat. We want, like, we want to be able to live. Right? And so sloth that sloth invites poverty is a pretty straightforward idea that we should all be able to get behind. Secondly, why is sloth bad? It keeps us from doing what God wants us to do and from helping those that he wants us to help. We read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God's prepared stuff for us to do. God knows how our whole, the whole book of our lives will play out, and God has prepared stuff for us that we can do in his service and in service to one another. And when we neglect those acts, we're actually depriving others of, of the works that God would do in their lives. For example, if you have a, a project of some kind, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a paper, maybe it's something from work, Maybe it's a sermon. I don't know. If you have something that you need to get done, but you don't finish it on time, well, now you need to work instead of something else that you should be doing. In my context, if I don't get a sermon done on time, you know who loses? My kids. Right? My kids lose time with their dad if I don't get a sermon done on time. And, and that, is, like, that is a conscious thing that I keep in mind because I'm going, I, if I don't work hard, I am depriving my children. And there are all sorts of ways that you can apply that to your own life, and I want to dive into them for us because I'm sure you can do that on your own. But the third reason why sloth is bad is that it makes us unnecessarily dependent on others. Ephesians 4.28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. There are times when we need each other and when we need help, and there is nothing wrong with that. We are here for each other. That is like the whole idea. But as a general rule, God wants us to be capable and independent so that we can be the ones helping, not the ones in need of help. Fourth, Sloth produces other negative behavior. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 to 13, we read, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. 
For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we, were, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we have the right to such help, or because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy, they are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. As for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Paul ties sloth not only to being idle, but also to being disruptive. And I, I just, I got to point out again, how much do you love that phrase? They're not busy, they're busy bodies. Like, it's just such a great little turn of phrase. How about the, how about the, the saying that many of us, I'm sure, have heard, idle hands are the devil's workshop? Have you heard that one? Again, not a saying that's super popular today, but the idea is, if time is passing, you're going to be doing something, right? You, you're never not doing something, and we sort of see that in what Paul is talking about. These people aren't working, so instead they're out gossiping. They're wagging their tongues. They're doing disruptive things. They're making other people's lives difficult because they're not doing nothing. They're doing something, but that something turns out to be destructive, and so that's the word of caution for us. So, how do we fight against sloth? Traditionally, the virtue that has been placed in opposition to the vice of sloth has been diligence. Hard work. And it's worth pointing out here that work is not part of the curse of sin. We are not having to work because the world has fallen. Right? There are many things that we have to deal with as a result of sin in the world. Work is not one of them. Work is a part of our design. As Christians, we often talk about how we are designed for worship. There's a wonderful Augustine quote I, I just appreciate so much. You awaken us to delight in your praise, for you made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Right? The idea that we're made for worship. But the fact remains that we're also designed for work. In the Garden of Eden, in paradise, Adam, the first man, is given work to do. In Genesis 2.15, we read, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Adam was to tend the garden, trimming, pruning, planting. Adam had work to do. He's in paradise. One would assume there's no weeds because that seems to be part of the fall. But still, that's work, right? Uh, there's, there's actually more to it than that. In Genesis 2.19, we read, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Naming the creatures was part of the job that, that God gave to Adam. We're still doing that today, right? We discover new species, we discover new bacteria and all sorts of different things, and we name them. It's a wonderful part of human nature that we name stuff, and, and God gave that to us as a job to do. There's another job that God gave Adam to do in paradise. 
Genesis 1, 27 to 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I'm not entirely sure what rule over all the creatures means, but I know what be fruitful and multiply means. That's parenting. Parenting is work. Can I get an amen? But it's good, right? It's good work. Parenting is a good thing, and and that is something that existed prior to the world being marred by sin. We can't look at this and say, oh, I wouldn't have to deal with this if it wasn't for all the evil in the world. In fact, there's a good argument to be made that we'll also be doing work in heaven. We won't be floating on clouds playing harps. Revelation talks about a city and that we'll have work to do there as well. So all of this, this work existed. We had work to do. And now all of that work becomes much harder as a result of the fall, but it was still work. At the same time, I want to offer another caveat. I I used to sit under a pastor who would say, for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch, which he meant the idea that there's always two extremes that you don't want to fall into, which isn't what that expression means, but it kind of works. Diligence is not workaholism. I want to be clear that diligence isn't also isn't only work. You can be diligent without producing anything. One of my one of my concerns when writing this sermon was how do I write a sermon against sloth without sounding like a capitalist shill just being like workers go. Right? Cuz like that's not what I mean either. But diligence is still a thing even in relationships. You're being diligent when you're parenting, when you take your husband out for dinner. I mean, take your wife out for dinner. <laughs> right? That, that's diligence, even though you're not producing something. So you're, you can be diligent in relationships. You can be diligent when you're learning stuff. You, you, if you just pull out a book, if you even throw a documentary on the TV, right? Like, you're, if you're learning stuff, you're growing. You're becoming more of all of those things. This right here, you are not producing anything right now. But we're spending time in worship. We're spending time learning. This is diligence. This isn't sloth. Right? So I, I don't want us to think that diligence means you have to be working all the time. In fact, did you know that the Bible commands time off? Commands it. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Verses 12 to 15, we read, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to, your, to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember, that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Thou shalt take a day off. I like to say, God pulled the people of Israel out of slavery where all they did was work. And one of the first commands that he gives to them is you will remember that you are human beings, not human doings. That who you are is not essential of what you do. 
if what you produce is not essential to who you are. Your value comes from God and from being made in His image and of just being. And taking a day off is an important part of that. There's more. There's actually a bigger command than that. In Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 to 26, we read about, this is called the feast tithe. The Old Testament talks about three tithes, which is kind of surprising to learn, right? We usually hear about tithing, but we don't often hear that there are three tithes in the Old Testament. And this isn't a sermon on tithing. But the, the, um, here's what we read. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name so that you may learn to revere your, the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away. Remember, this is before they've built the temple. In fact, this is before they've even gone into the land. Then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. One of the things that God commands is that the people of Israel were supposed to come each year for, temp- for festivals in Jerusalem. Right? At this point, they don't realize it's Jerusalem. And we see this in the New Testament, right? We see where Jesus and the disciples are going to celebrate Passover. They're going, they're going to Jerusalem to celebrate these different feasts. Do you know what this command is? This command is, thou shalt take a vacation. How's that for shocking? Right? Thou shalt put some of the money aside that you make and save it up so that you can go on a trip, a God-honoring trip, mind you, and have stuff to eat while you're doing that. That's saving for a vacation. That's what that is. And it's literally being commanded by God. I'm, I was surprised when I learned that. Were you surprised? Right? It's, it is not the sort of thing that we usually think about. So how can we be diligent? How can we do this in our lives? Well, there's a couple of obvious things that we can do. We can minimize distraction. There are so many things clamoring for our attention. You know, I already pulled my phone out of my breast pocket today. I don't think I should be doing that again. It's not a good image for a preacher. But, like, there's a thing that is clamoring for your attention all the time, right? And it's designed to clamor for your attention. We can also prioritize correctly. We can remember who we're working for. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, we read, Slaves, we could also read this as workers, right? Employees. Right? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. So this remembering who it is that we're actually working for at all times, right? When I'm, I keep bringing up the example of parenting, but like those aren't my kids. Those are God's kids, and he's entrusted them to me. And I'm working for him to make them into the people that he needs. 
And we, we remember that about work. Like, that's exactly the context that Paul's talking in, that, that when we go to work for somebody, we're not just working for them, we're working for God. And that we can remember that to help us remain diligent. It's also important that we keep ourselves full so that we have something to give. If you're empty, if you're exhausted, you are not going to be diligent, right? It's a thing. If you stay up all night... If you stay up all night playing video games or binging the latest whatever, you're going to have a real hard time concentrating at work the next day. I am not a very good parent on Sunday afternoons because I'm exhausted from preaching, right? I, when I'm not, if I'm empty, I can't give very much, if anything at all. And so one of the ways that we can be diligent is actually to have effective recreation, we need to be doing things that refill us. And not, not, like, it's good to do fun things, right? And we have to make sure that we're doing things that do actually fill us and don't leave us feeling emptier than we did, right? Because that's a thing, too, is sometimes we try to have fun and we really don't. And, of course, that when we spend time with God, that fills our souls also, and that's crucial to our being able to be diligent, that we need to spend time with God. We need to be close to Him because that will fill us up and enable us to have something to give. Because when we're ready, when we are full, then when we're called upon to act, we can do that. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 16. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. We only have so many opportunities, and we need to be ready for them. That's why this is important. Ultimately, diligence is about winning in small things so that we can win on the big things. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 10 to 12, yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so, to do so more and more, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business, and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Paul is tying that diligence to our witness. Luke chapter 16, verses 10 to 12, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Lots for us to think about. God calls us to be diligent. God calls us to be servants, not only of him, but also of each other, and to work that out in every aspect of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, this is, a, this is kind of a tough word today. This is, this is a really practical word that stands to impact every day of our lives, Lord. This isn't just a Sunday sermon. This is a Monday sermon, a Tuesday sermon. God, we pray that you would enact this in our lives. We pray that we would be diligent in pursuing you and in following through on the things that you've called us to do. We pray that you would be with us as we go about those tasks that you have ordained for us to do that we would, be, we would go in your presence, that you would keep our hearts near to you, and that we would be your people 
as we go about the work that you have put out. Pray this in your name. Amen.